0: This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick
2: Maher on V-CEN. We begin hour number two of the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross alongside Michael Lombardi. And, Michael, I do want to get your thoughts here on several things. And one of them in the NFL draft came and went. And we saw that the Tennessee Titans decided to draft Malik Willis in the third round. Now, many people had, some people had, first-round grades on Malik Willis. Not everybody. We knew that this going in was not going to be a strong quarterback class. Now, I don't know if that just fell to them in the third round. They went, man, this is just too good to pass up. We cannot pass on Malik Willis here in this third round. But they didn't tell the quarterback about it, and that's their incumbent quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. So he was asked about it by the media, and he basically said, and he said a lot of things, but one of them, first and foremost, was it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. And I th- think that ruffled some people the wrong way. He went on to say that he's had many sleepless nights since their playoff loss to Cincinnati. He's actually had to seek therapy for it. So he took that loss. They were the number one seed and they didn't get it done against Cincinnati. We know what the rest of his history there is the Bengals go all the way to the Super Bowl. Let's get back to the beginning comments, which are it's not my job to mentor my potential replacement. As an executive, is that what you want to hear? Or is that just something you say, no, no, your job is team, and now he's part of the team?
3: No, no, I mean, he's not the coach, right? The coaches, that's what we pay coaches, they're paying coaches millions of dollars to mentor players. It's not Ryan Tannehill's job at all. Ryan Tannehill has enough on his plate to handle what he does. You know, he's got to play well. And he's got to handle what he's doing. To me, that's more important. And, look, they drafted a guy in the third round. There's no guarantee he's going to, make, he's going to be a, a viable starter in the league. How many third-round picks, I mean, other than Joe, Joe Montana, that you know of a quarterback that end up playing? Hmm. Think about that for a moment. Think about what third-round pick ends up playing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 a round that you know it's very rare to get a third a quarterback in the third round who ends up starting. I mean, look, you can go through the second overall pick quarterbacks in the draft yeah. and not find many. I mean, it's hard to find them there, let alone in the third round. To me, once you pass them in the top ten, the chance of you finding a bona fide starter is pretty rare. Pretty and, rare. But, and it, Yeah,
2: and the difference, too, Michael, and you know this better than anybody, is the pressure of drafting first round quarterbacks means, from the fan base at least, and the media, is I got to see the kid play. Like at some point, if you're a first round, even Josh Rosen was 10th overall, but you you had to see it so you knew it wasn't going to work. You don't need that with later round picks, right? Now, ironically, I can think of some fourth rounders because I was there in D.C. when Kirk Cousins came in the same draft with Robert Griffin III, and that just kind of worked out once RG3 got hurt. Uh, You know, obviously Russell Wilson comes to mind, but he wasn't supposed to be the guy in the third round there in Seattle. You don't have to see later round picks play the the position, right? It's just coming on the first rounders and maybe second rounders.
3: Well, look, I mean, you know, Malik Willis is going to be ready to play next year anyway. I mean, he's got the red shirt. I mean, Logan Whiteside is going to be the backup. I mean, let's just put that out there. I mean, there's no, no chance Malik Willis is going to be able to come in there, learn their offense, be able to make the adjustments, make the calls, move people around, and handle everything. He's got no chance. So, to me, it's, it's going to be a year of learning for him at best. At best. And so, this is a big year for Tannehill. It gives him a chance to get his career back on back on track. I mean, back in 19, Tannehill played his best football. He averaged 9-6 yards per attempt that year. You know, he was sensational. He was, you know, he was a Pro Bowl player. Last year, it just wasn't the same. Now, we know that, you know, Derrick Henry wasn't healthy the whole year. They lost some of their, you know, without, without their offensive weapons. I mean, Julio was never really a good player for him last year. It was one of the worst trades you could make. Mm. So, but he's had to carry the load. Their offensive line hasn't been as good. So, look, Tannehill's got to play really his best. He's got to play lights out for them to win. now. And last year where I think he got tied up and he made too many mistakes, he threw 14 interceptions. The year before he only threw seven. The year before that he threw six. He turned the ball over too much last year uh, for the Titans, which is something they didn't want to do. That's usually what they don't do. You know, I said this yesterday to Patrick. I mean, the Titans are one of those teams that I never really like because I don't think they're very talented. But I love their coach, but offensively, they're going to struggle a little bit as they get going, losing A.J. Brown, not having another outside receiver. Where are they all going to go? And, you know, I think the Colts have improved themselves with Matt Ryan at quarterback. I think that they're going to challenge him.
2: When you look at what's going on in Seattle uh, very quickly here with Pete Carroll, and he said he doesn't see the Seahawks trading for a quarterback before the beginning of the season. They didn't draft a quarterback either after trading away, of course, Russell Wilson at Denver. Now, they got Drew Locke in that deal. And, you know, Michael, sometimes, you know, to me, age is just a number. And you look at it and you go, well, Pete Carroll, does he want to start over now with Drew Locke as his quarterback? Like, is, does this mean to you – Baker Mayfield is not a possibility of going to Seattle?
3: I mean, Baker hasn't been a possibility in Seattle for a while. They've been saying this all along. They haven't really changed the narrative at all. I mean, they've been steadfast in this, and they and they really didn't spend a lot of time on the rookies. They didn't go. You didn't see Pete Carroll at Malik Willis's workout, private workout. You didn't see Pete Carroll going to a private workout with Desmond Wright or or with with any of the quarterbacks in the draft. They they were they were of the mindset this wasn't a great quarterback draft. So, you know, I think they are to me it it begs another question. If you're Andrew Barry, where are you going with Baker Mayfield? Right. You got 18 million guaranteed. You got to pay it to him and you don't have a you don't have a taker in Seattle. So, your only taker is Carolina and you're telling Carolina you're not going to pay any of the salary. Well, that's great. You don't pay them in the salary, but who's going to take it? You're going to end up paying it all. You're going to end up paying it all. Like, what are we going to do? Well, you know, and so I, I think ultimately, you know, they're going to have to make a decision here.
2: Well, and, and the bizarre thing is this came from, from Baker's camp. They put it out there that we are requesting a trade. And normally when you, you do something like that, you assume that there's demand. But it's almost like, hey, I'm here. Come get me. Nobody wants you is what it feels like. It feels like the musical chairs have stopped now after the NFL draft. And I'm hard-pressed like you to figure out a roster that would be a spot for Baker Mayfield. And at this point,
3: it feels like there's no starting spots available, right? There's No, he, I, I, there's none. I mean, that's the one thing about the quarterback market is unless the Browns are going to carry them and see what happens – you know, but once the quarterback, the, the, the quarterback chairs have been taken, you know, then there's no chairs left. Like, let's take, for example, you know, I mean, uh, Jarrett Stidham in New England. You know, there's four quarterbacks on New England. They draft a kid in the fourth round, Bailey Zupa. So that means Stidham's going to be out of a job. Right. So we'll see what happens with him. So now that, that, that's what goes on. I mean, the Browns signed Jacoby Brissett to be the backup. They got Josh Dobbs to be the backup. They signed Felix Harper to be the, for, the, to be the practice squad guy. So now what's going to happen? I mean, this is all moving along. They've got to get rid of – they've got to move on from, from Baker Mayfield. They can't keep him any longer. And every team in the league knows it. And so why would you do anything other than just sit tight? Can, can Baker Mayfield
2: uh, – he, look, he, it's not that far removed from him being the first pick in the NFL draft. Right, and, and say what you want about Baker. He did try to play through the injury last year in Cleveland. And maybe that maybe that wasn't as smart a decision as it looked because it looked like he was really trying to, to be a leader and show that he wants to be here. And then on the way out, the Browns say, we wanted to get an adult in the room. And meanwhile, that adult is a guy who might not be able to play because of reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with football. So think about that yeah. when they make a statement yeah. like that,
3: right? I mean, that's really I mean, a slap look- in the face. Yeah, I mean, look, Baker's time there, I mean, he wasn't, he shouldn't have been the first pick in the draft. I mean, Josh Allen should have been, maybe Lamar Jackson should have been. Obviously, he wasn't the best quarterback in the draft, uh, just based on now that we can look back and see it. Lamar Jackson's the MVP of the league. Josh Allen's played, you know, taken Mm -hmm. his team to the playoffs two years in a row. So, I mean, it's pretty clear. But, you know, I mean... The, the Browns have no options here, David. They, they, what are they going to do? And if you're, if you're Matt Rule of the Carolina Panthers, why would you do anything? I mean, Atlanta could use a quarterback, but, you know, I mean, they, they signed Mariota. They drafted Desmond Ryder, and they got Felipe Frank. So they're not going to invest in it. Go through all the teams. Right. Like, where are you going to put the kid? Where are you putting Baker Mayfield where you're going to give him a chance? I mean, if Seattle's saying no. And they're going with Geno Smith or Drew Locke. God knows that. I mean, that adds another one. I mean, you've seen the reports lately that the 49ers are less than enthused with Trey Lance. I mean, that came out today. I mean, you know, I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know what's happened, what's been going on. But to me, Garoppolo's available. Are they going to move him? I mean, they're carrying $24 million. None of it's guaranteed, but they're carrying it. And it's keeping them from re-signing Debo and some of the other players they want to get to. If if you're a coach or a GM now, and you're entertaining, and again,
2: let's we, we walk down the steps here. You almost think the Browns are gonna have to release them.
3: and uh,
2: just get you know be clear of it, and so no team would want to take on that salary. Well, that's now, what they're
3: waiting on, right? right? So, right. So what what's happening is, is Carolina said, look, we'll give you a, a seventh round pick, a sixth round pick. We'll we'll pay four million. You pay fourteen. Okay. Right. They're saying no, no, you got to pay it all. Well, they're not gonna get all of it. They, they were initially asking for a number number two. I mean, San Francisco was asking for two number twos for Garoppolo. Well, there's no market. All the chairs have been taken. The dancing has stopped. There's no chairs available. Wow. So what are we going to do? It's going to be very interesting from
2: Baker's uh, camp and how they're going to be able to sell themselves if, in fact, they get released by the Browns and figure out how can I be a backup on another team and prove to them that I'm coming in here <laughs> With the best
3: intentions. He, he won't go to another team as a backup. He'll go somewhere like Carolina where he can compete because his agent's got to put him in a place to where he can play because <sighs> he needs another contract after this. If he goes and does what Mitchell Trubisky did and goes to Buffalo, he's not going to get paid. So he's going to go somewhere where he can be in position, not guaranteed, but be in position. To me, he should be all over the, 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 the Browns to send them to Carolina because Carolina's desperate for a quarterback. And Baker's desperate for an opportunity. It's the perfect marriage. Even though I'm not a Baker fan, it's the perfect marriage.
2: It's one and only one that seems to make sense out there right now for Baker Mayfield. When we come back, Michael, big news breaking out of the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll discuss when you come back with us right here on the Lombardi Line on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. Kentucky Derby is Saturday, and right now VEASAN is offering you a special 99 Kentucky Derby Betting guide with previews of all the horses and jockeys for every race, plus best bets for the entire weekend, including the run for the roses. Pre-order your copy now for only 999 at VEASAN.com slash Derby Guide. That's VEASAN.com slash Derby Guide. Back alongside Michael Lombardi, I am Dave Ross. Michael, are you a, a derby guy? Will you uh will you, any mo-
3: you gonna weigh any money down on the Derby? I, I, I'm i not a better, but I love the Derby. I love, you know, I've become fascinated with some of these, the horse stories, the training yeah. and listening to people talk about them. So, you know, I love watching the Derby. I don't really bet on it. I don't know enough about it. I probably should get into it more, but I'm not a better by say. I like giving out advice yeah. on football betting. That's about the only thing I like to do, but uh, that, that's really about it. I, I enjoy it though. The pump, I would love to go. I've never been able to go. I would love to go to the Derby. You know, I'd love to hang around there. My son was at Louisville for a couple of years. Um, three or four years, he would go every single year. It's incredible. So I would love to do it. Patrick, I, I hopefully he went to the pharmacy today yeah. to get breakfast. I gave him some tips on where to go. So we'll see. Do you
2: think Patrick's going to go full regalia, like a, like a big hat and, you know, like that sort Oh, I think lo- he'll
3: look good. Yeah. I mean, Patrick will look good in whatever he does. Yeah. There's no denying this. No, hey. he's going to have a good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if there's somebody be, made for the
2: Derby, it's Patrick. He, he it's should, Patrick. Yeah. There's
3: no doubt. I mean, the, watch the doors fly open when he goes through that place. There's no doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: a bucket list thing for me as well. I can't rock it, though. There's no way I can get the regalia like everybody does there at the Derby. Uh, I mentioned we have big-time breaking news here in the NFL, Michael. The NFL never sleeps, as you know. And the Raiders just put this out 13 minutes ago, and it simply says that Dan Vantrell is no longer with the Raider organization We will have no further comment at this time. That is from Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders. And this now goes through what a change in the front office that we've seen from uh, this time last year to where we are now. Obviously, uh, you know, well past just the John Gruden uh, news as head coach, but you look at all these things that have happened here uh, with Dave Ziegler coming in as the new GM. Uh, obviously, you've got McDaniels now in fold. You, you do get Devontae Adams. You get Chandler Jones and you extend Derek Carr. But is this, Michael, something that, that happens? Like, I look at the Steelers and Kevin Colbert. You know, he stepped down after the draft, but we all knew that was coming. How big a surprise is this for you to hear that the president of the Las Vegas Raiders is out.
3: Well, I mean, it, it is a surprise in the sense that he was the interim president. He took over from Mark Bedain, who left last, uh, you know, I think last summer, uh, or actually last, I think May or something like that. And, and, so he took over for him, and he never was promoted to the full time. It was very instrumental in getting Josh mcdaniels the job there. But I think the one thing about the Raiders the football side is in pretty good shape with Dave Ziegler running the general manager 's chair he knows what he 's doing mm-hmm. he 's done it before you know and of course Josh mcdaniels, I think is an excellent coach, so that is this is more on the business side they they, they released the 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 woman who was running the, the human resource department there, who was hired by Ventrelli last two weeks ago, which I think made people a little bit worried. Mark Davis, I think right now Mark Davis wants to reconfigure the business side. You know, but Dame was a beloved figure on that in that organization. Everybody loves him. I love him. You mm. know, uh, he, he he goes back his grandfather. Mark Bedane's grandfather was Al Davis's basketball coach at Erasmus High School. Wow. So that's the connection. That's how far back it goes. And so he was a beloved figure in the organization, you know, and, and I think that they're trying to get some camaraderie back in that area.
2: I look at the Raiders overall. We we showed some of the big moves that they just made in this off season, and yet there's still at least the odds, odds makers out here are going to pick them fourth nine to one is what I'm seeing at Betmgm. It's a pretty good number that that I look at at first blush and go, wow, with the improvements that they've made defensively. Michael, and we, but we've seen everybody else get better, right? The Chargers clearly yeah. got better in their off season. The Broncos, no mistaking there, with Russell Wilson. I thought the Chiefs had a very good draft here to maybe fill up some of their holes. They're still the, the small favorite to win this division at plus a dollar thirty-five. Looking at the Raiders, do you think there's any value there at nine to one?
3: I do. I mean, I think. Look, the one thing about the Raiders when you look at their team. You know, for all the things that have happened to them since Gruden came on board, they've done a really bad job of rebuilding these lines. And they've wasted a lot of draft picks. And and the Raiders have, have struggled. I mean, really have struggled defensively with getting enough defensive linemen. I mean, they signed Vernon Butler from Buffalo. They've got Jonathan Hawkins back. I mean, here's the way they've got to play it. They've got to play from in front. They've got to get Carr to be really good. And, you know, with Adams playing, Renfro moves inside. That's going to be really good. They're going to need to get another running back back there. They drafted the kids, Zamir White mm-hmm. from Georgia. Hopefully he can play for him, fourth-round pick. Everybody loves him. Interesting story where they got him from. But they're going to need to get that. They're going to have to play from in front. Why? Because now when they're in front, Chandler Jones and Max Crosby can take over games. And they could take over games. And I think that ultimately that will help them. They need to be able to do that. So, Uh, I I, I, look, they've got some issues. Colton Miller's a a, a good left tackle, not a great left tackle. But this offensive line is a struggle. And, you know, they drafted the Parham Parham kid in the third round. He's going to have to come in and play. They're going to need to get this line back and ready.
2: Yeah. Again, you look at where the Chargers went with the offensive tackle last year. You hit home runs in the draft year in the offensive line. That's going to help you out. But the Raiders haven't been able to do that. So let's see if they're going to get better collectively. But the defense does certainly look better, and the offense with Devontae Adams looks better. But can you keep the quarterback upright? That's going to be the biggest question mark here, and that's why they're probably the biggest odds,
3: uh, deepest odds on the board right now, nine to one. You know, I mentioned and they have the least amount of depth, though, too, Dave. I mean, they right. don't have great depth. You know, and so last year defensively, you know, they were they gave up twenty, they were twenty-sixth in points allowed, so they weren't very good. You know, for all the talk that you hear about the Raiders and Josh Jacobs is such a good running back. The Raiders averaged – tw- they were 27th in the National Football League in yards per attempt, okay? That, that's a key stat. They were horrible in that area. You know, for as much we talk about, well, you know, they got a really good running game. They don't. Mm. You know, And then they were terrible on third down. They were 22nd in the league on third down. And then their defense, when they got into the red zone, they were 32nd in defense in the red zone. So there's a lot that Josh McDaniels has got to overtake here to get this thing turned around. And they did not pick up his option, Josh Jacobs, for the next year, that
2: fifth-year option. So he might be gone uh, in the silver and black after this year. I mentioned Kevin Colbert stepping down as the GM of the Steelers because – Michael he picked basically the next quarterback right as they go yeah. and draft Kenny Pickett here they don't have to make a move they stand pat at 20 to do that is that is that normal or is that just the steer way that they said hey we knew Kevin was going to be stepping down from his duties as GM but we'll let him pick the quarterback that if things go well could be the quarterback there for the foreseeable future
3: well, there's, no, there's not one person maybe other than Bill Walsh that would be in any organization that he alone would pick the quarterback. It w- it's going to have to be a consensus, right? So Mike Tomlin had to sign off on Pickett. Look, Pickett was in the other side of the building for four years. I mean, if there's one team that knows Kenny Pickett better than anybody, it's the Steelers. Mm. You know, Kenny Pickett was not an endearing guy. When he, one of his visits he took to a team, you know, he kept his hoodie up the whole time. They couldn't wait to get him out of the building. I mean, they were not in love with him. It was very disappointing. And he didn't have very many visits. But wow. the Steelers know him. The Steelers know him better than anybody. And that goes a long way. And I think that Kevin, who does a great job, you know, he wasn't going to just make this pick based on on being his last year, he was going to make this pick based on what the scouts said, what his, what his what he thought, and then, of course, what the coaches said. So Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, he's got to get involved in it, too. We'll see. You know, they've got Mason Rudolph as the third. I mean, Kevin still thinks Mason Rudolph's a good player. And they're going to let Trubisky see what happens. I, I kind of get the sense that just knowing Pickett, that he'll, he'll do enough to where I think he'll be able to wrestle the starting job from Trubisky because Trubisky will make too many mistakes.
2: So, this is going to be quarterback competition for real. Like, when you pick a kid 20th overall in the first round, this is the difference. Like, we started this conversation with Malik Willis out west. You know, you go in the third round, or Malik Willis rather, going to Tennessee, you go in the third round, those expectations are not there right away. Now, first round is different. So, now you got Trubisky coming in who has, he's done absolutely nothing in Pittsburgh. So it's not like the job is just inherently his, right? And you get the the, the, the holdovers, if you will, Mason Rudolph. But you really think this is going to be an open competition for the quarterback position?
3: Yeah, because I think you know ultimately they're not going to you know give it to anybody. They're got to earn it, right? They didn't pay Trubisky a lot of money, so since they didn't pay Trubisky a lot of money, they don't have anything. They don't have real investment in any player. They're not like saying, okay, we've paid you, we're going to give you the starting job. They paid him on the come. And I think it's going to be a complete, complete open, open uh, competition this summer at Latrobe uh, in training camp, so they could see what they can have. Now, are, I mean, there's some other areas where they've got a fix too on the Steelers team. Are they good enough on the in the secondary? Are they going to be able to win back in the corner? You know, they signed Witherspoon, the corner from San from Seattle by way of San Francisco, Levi Wallace from Buffalo, so they've got two new corners back there. They've got you know, are they going to be able to, I thought Miles Jack was a really good signing. They get an inside linebacker to go along with Devin Bush, who they didn't pick the option on, but the offensive line is going to be the key. Can they improve in that offensive line this year? That's going to be the real key to their success.
2: And what's fascinating, too, five years ago when Mitchell Trubisky was coming to Chicago second overall, they just signed Mike Glennon to a big free agent deal there in Chicago, so he, it's like he's doing the same thing that Mitchell Trubisky uh, he, he had to go up against five years ago, now he's going to do it against the rookie, but instead of him being the rookie this time around it's going to be uh, the rookie from Pittsburgh that's going to be fascinating with Kenny Pickett all right when we come back Josh Applebaum is going to join the program here right on the Lombardi Line on these and these sports betting network ready for horse racing's triple crown with a great offer for new customers sign up now with promo code vegas22 and bet at least $25 in the kentucky derby you're going to receive $25 in pre-bets for both the preakness and the belmont stakes races you must sign up with first bet by may 7th using the code vegas22 to qualify register today with code vegas22 at vson.com slash horses Dave Ross back alongside Michael Lombardi. I am here because Patrick Meyer is at the Kentucky Derby, and I'm sure he's looking lovely in the process getting ready for the big Kentucky Derby uh, showdown tomorrow. It is always a pleasure to welcome Josh Applebaum back to the program here. Josh, been a minute since we caught up. Great to have you back on, my friend. Uh, Michael and I were talking about it, and the big buzz today is you know, is Daniel Russo coming back in the form of Joel Embiid tonight? Is he going to try to give it a go? Will he fight for the Philadelphia 76ers? This number has been on the move since we began the show today, Josh, because of that news. It, it was about three for Miami, swung all the way to Philadelphia being the favorite. Now it's back to Miami, a point and a half. How do you handicap this without knowing for sure whether or not Joel Embiid's going to play?
1: Yeah, Dave, Michael, it's great to be with you. And Dave, I know it's a big UFC weekend, so good luck to you this weekend. Yes, sir. uh, I'm really excited about this one, guys. And this is a microcosm to me of being glued into Twitter because, as we all know, know, Twitter is really important to get – this breaking news and breaking information. So to your point, Dave, this has been a really interesting line move. Remember going into the series, you've had uh, Miami win and cover both games pretty easily. They're now up to 0 oh, 1400 on the series price, Philly plus 800. But this really goes to show you the effect of Joel Embiid to the point spread. A lot of these books at the very, very outset opened almost like Philadelphia minus one at home. And I think the odds makers were saying, Hey, let's protect ourselves on the chance that Embiid may play. And remember going into today, he was ruled as out. But then we see that Embiid upgraded to doubtful. There's a Sham Sharani tweet saying he's getting fitted for a mask. He's going to go through shoot around. We immediately saw this line, uh, or, or when he was thought to be out, it got all the way to Heat minus three and a half. When that tweet came out that he may play, it got all the way down pretty much to a pick 'em. But then we've seen this line tick back up to Miami. So whether he's playing or not, uh, maybe he's going to be out, or maybe he's going to play. And just I think that, you know, odds makers or sharp betters are saying, hey, Miami Heat had a really good number here, a pick 'em type number. Let's hit Miami. So when it bottomed out at a pick 'em, A lot of money over the last hour or so is coming on the heat to flip them all the way to minus one and a half. So line movement is going toward Miami here, guys. And I know it's a little bit of a popular play, which kind of gives me heartburn as a contrarian better. You're getting about 77% of bets on Miami here. But whether or not Embiid plays, I'm going to go Miami on the money line here. They've outplayed Philadelphia. I know Philadelphia is in a desperation spot. But to me, what I'm banking on is really favorites throughout this postseason. They've been fantastic. If you look at favorites against the spread, they're now 34-23, and 23, ATS 60%. If you see a favorite with a line move in their favor, like you're seeing here uh, with Miami, they're 20-9 against the spread, 69%. And just straight up, winning the game, if you're a favorite, you're 42-15, and 15, 74%. So... If Embiid plays, if it's Willis Reed or Paul Pierce got on the wheelchair guys <laughs> and they can find a win, then I'll tip my cap. But to me, if you're getting this Miami team at pretty much a pick em number, it's a value play to me. I'm going to go Miami on the money line tonight.
3: Uh, I like it. I, I think that's the way to go. I think you're better off just doing that. Go the money line for take the points out. You're going to get a good price in it. And then, you know, you just basically see because I, I just think to me, you know, there's going to be so much made of Embiid playing, but they haven't beaten Miami when Embiid plays. They struggle with Miami offensively. They can't get the ball in the basket. I, I think it'll be it'll be a hard game for Philly tonight. You know, and again, Dave, like you started the show off. If they're, if they're winning by eight in the fourth, it's going to be – you're going to see if they can hold on here.
2: Right. It's, it's the way it's been so far. Uh, Miami just owns Philadelphia right now. So, I'm kind of with you guys. It feels like without – independent of Joel Embiid, if you like Miami – then go, you should be safe to play the number. If you like Philadelphia and you're playing that guessing game whether or not he plays, good luck to you. Because there are a lot of reports, Josh, to your point here, uh, certainly the Shams one caught my attention too. So we do not know whether or not he's going to be able to go. But it looks like he's attempting to, but that doesn't mean he will. And that number will change before tip, depending on whether or not Embiid does in fact play. You know, we talk about Phoenix and Dallas in a similar situation here. It feels like Dallas can, you know, fight with them for a while, even back to the regular season. And then fourth quarter time comes, and Chris Paul takes over, and it's, you know, Phoenix is going to win it again. Now they're laying a point on the road. Pick them here at BetMGM. What do you make of this short number here for Phoenix? Uh, Do you like them to go up 3-0? As you mentioned here, Josh, Favor's been pretty good, even though this one is down to a pick at some places.
1: So Dave, I think first thing it jumps out to when you look at our VEASAN board here is why is this game a pick'em? Doesn't that seem really fishy? The Suns have won and covered both games. Doncic is just fantastic right now, but he's getting no help from anybody. But yet it's a pick 'em. It just seems fishy to me that this number is so low. So, you know, this kind of goes to maybe the odds makers. A lot of people think, like, they set traps, basically. But that really isn't the case. You know, they're putting out a number that's, you know, fair based on their models and algorithms. But sometimes the public kind of gets trapped by a perception-type play. So this is the most lopsided uh, NBA playoff game that I've seen so far this postseason. You're getting 84% of bets on the Phoenix Suns. How can you blame anyone? They're looking great. Booker is now healthy again. And they're getting a, you know, you're getting a pick 'em number you almost feel like hey that that's a pretty good value play but to me guys the most important thing is some shops are actually minus 1 phoenix suns as an opener it's either uh you know still if you can find a plus 1 dallas that would be worthwhile too but if it's plus 1 as an opener for dallas wise line down to pick them? the line is going to dallas despite the fact they're only getting 16% of bets. So tells me you have some reverse line movement here on Dallas. I'd shop around. My play is plus one Dallas if we can find it. Am I confident? No, but I got to put some faith in this really sharp reverse line move. And I think odds makers are kind of taking a position here. They're saying, hey, we know we're going to get pounded by nonstop, you know, recreational money on the Phoenix Suns. But they're not unwilling to kind of move that number up, and also say, guys, I went into this saying, hey, I really want to bet the over today. You know, overs have uh, been great uh, for the Phoenix Suns. I think they're six and one their last seven. Dallas is ten and five to the over their last fifteen. But this number got uh, raised a little bit higher than the first two games. We had like a two fourteen, a two seventeen. Now this was up to two nineteen. It's actually falling down to two eighteen and half. So I'm not going to play the total. Uh, that line movement a little bit to the under scared me off. But I got to take Dallas, guys. This is the ultimate hazmat play. Give me Mavs plus one.
3: You know, it's funny, though. It's just hard for me. As much as I love Dallas, they, Dallas can't beat them. It's a little bit like Philly-Miami. They can't beat them. And, and they're 10-0 and 0 in the last 10 games. So, to me, I just have a hard time. Eventually, you say, well, eventually they're going to win one of these. Boy, I, I don't know. The, the, that eventual always gets you.
2: It's going to be tough because, again, Doncic can't play a whole lot better than he really has, and still down 0-2 after those first two games in Phoenix. And Chris Paul, again, just always seems to have that answer. But we'll see how game three shakes out tonight. Josh, very quickly, luckily the Phillies and Mets are both off for very different reasons after what we saw last night. Is there any major league baseball play that really sticks out to you as, as possibly a really good one today?
1: Yeah, so first off, you know anyone who was on the Phillies like me last night, sadly seven and zero, and you blow that in the ninth, and buy buy that person a drink today. They need a little bit of, <laughs> a little bit of love and support. That was a brutal one. The biggest comeback late since nineteen ninety seven. I was ten years old the last time something like that happened, guys. Uh, but I would say, guys, this isn't really sharp. I would say, but uh, how can you not be betting against the Cincinnati Reds right yeah. now? They have the worst record in Major League Baseball. Uh, not only are they losing, you know, three and twenty two, got to be one of the worst starts to a season in, in recent memory here. But they're also losing on a lot of these spreads plays a lot of these you know dog plus one and a half so they're losing by two or more in the vast majority of their games now they're playing the pittsburgh pirates today are the pirates a world beater absolutely not but pirates 10 and 14 they've been uh, a little frisky here the lines going to the pirates the pirates opened at some shops like a minus 110 really short favorite pittsburgh is now up to around minus 130 you've seen a lot of movement here toward Pittsburgh, they have the better hitting team 233 versus 203, better pitching staff, 4.67 ERA versus almost 7 for Cincinnati and the other thing I like guys, a rest advantage Uh, we think of rest advantage in like physical sports, like Michael knows this, an NFL team on a short week versus a team that's rested or hockey, you're getting an extra rest here but baseball, it can also make a difference if you look at these teams who are off the previous day and they're favored today versus a team who played the previous day, that kind of rest advantage has been pretty good the last few years Uh, since 2018, it's 237 and 147 62 percent so if the reds beat me today guys again it's almost <laughs> like that philly play i'll tip my cap but when the going's good right now i think you got to keep betting against cincinnati give me the buckos here around minus 130
2: yeah, I, I like that. And if we were cl- closer together, Josh, as a Metropolitan fan, I'd buy you a drink today because you would have earned it after that one. <laughs> I need it uh, after that last night. <laughs> hey, let's talk a little puck here. We got about ninety seconds to go here, Josh. Uh, Carolina's looked pretty darn good uh, against Boston so far. What do you make of Game Three?
1: So I'm a Bruins fan. Fully admit and it. It does not look good right now. The bees look completely outmatched. It's JV varsity. They've been outscored ten to three. All the penalties are going against them. It looks terrible. But now this is another fishy one. Why are the Bruins favored tonight if they've been so outclassed so far in the series? This game actually opened Boston about a minus 125 favorite, something like that. You're up to around minus 135. This line is rising as we speak. You do have a, a backup goalie there with Carolina. So maybe they get to Kokuchev tonight. No Lindholm, yet the line's going to the Bruins. This this just looks fishy to me. I was expecting closer to a pick em type number. I think the oddsmakers are showing a little, bit, a little bit of faith in Boston to bounce back. We all know, guys, when you're in the playoffs and you're the home team, That's an advantage. You get the last ice change. So backs against the wall. I'll play the Bruins. And my system match here, guys, uh, would be these desperate teams. If you're in the NHL playoffs, you have experience as well. Coming off a loss so far, it's kind of that zigzag theory. It's very simple. But it's 6-2. and These desperate teams off a loss this playoffs. And if you have playoff experience and made it last year, uh, over the last 15 years or so, you're 54% in this spot, uh, desperate and got to get a win with an ROI of close to like 10%. So it looks disgusting. It makes no sense. The Bruins look totally dead. But the line's moving in their favor. I got to sweat the bees tonight. Let's see if they can surprise us. And
2: I think a lot of people thought this series would be much more competitive uh, the way it's began so far. Not very competitive. Let's see if it gets more competitive tonight in game three. Hey, Josh, appreciate it, man. Great catching up as always. Catch up again soon. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Michael. Good luck. There he is, everybody. Josh Applebaum. Michael, when we come back, I do want to pick your brain a little bit more on some news and notes around the NFL. So come on back. It's the Lombardi line here on Friday on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you're going to earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets, risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas will come on out. You can convert those BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM Resort properties located on the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is sports SportsBuddy's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility for to apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Maybe it was a fumble.
3: Well, Mike Holmgren had the best line of all. Mike Holmgren said, if 20 guys in a bar think it's a fumble, it's probably a fumble. You know, <laughs> I, I was there. And so when the play happened... Uh, I stood up in the press box in New England Stadium at the old Patriot Stadium, which was Schaefer Stadium. Right. And I yelled yes. And naturally, the PA announcer for the Patriots said there'll be no cheering in this press box. And then right in front of me was was Art Rooney was Art Rooney and uh, Art McNally. Excuse me. And Art McNally turned around to me and said, that's not going to stand. It's it's the tuck rule. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. So the whole thing happens. Walt Coleman overturns it, and they they make it the tuck rule, and we lose. Then um, Vinatieri kicks a field goal through uh, one iron through the snow, which was remarkable, Uh, and then we lose the game. You know, we had more than ample chance to win the game. We had a third and one. We ran Zach Crockett. We would run 12 lead pretty much all year and always get the first down. And we went the wrong way and we didn't get it. You know, Charlie Gardner breaks through a hole. Mm-hmm. If he follows John Ritchie to the right, he's going to score. If he goes to the left, he's going to get inside the five. Instead, he runs up Ritchie's back and we don't get anywhere. So there's so many of those plays that that happened. And, you know, to me, what what makes this even more intriguing is on the – so that after the game – we couldn't literally get out of Boston. It was snowing so bad. We did not leave until 630 the next morning. And uh, by the time we got home, Al Davis called me on the phone and was like, what what happened? And and uh, we were going over it. And I said, you know, this, this McNally guy in front of me, who? I said, Art McNally. He did what? And what I didn't realize at the time was if you remember the immaculate reception. Yes. There was eighteen minutes where the referees went into the the dugout and they talked on the phone. Nobody knows, nor will they admit who they talked to. Mm. Nobody will admit this. But Al Davis felt it was Art McNally back in the league office conferring with them on what to do. Whoa. Because if you go back and watch that tape, no one signals touchdown. No one signals touchdown. It's the only play where a, a running back or a receiver crosses the goal line and none of the referees signal touchdown.
2: That is wild to think about. And, again, as somebody's been spent decades in press box press boxes, well, you, you you know the rule, but you know we don't hear the reprimand. That's very interesting because things happen in life that sometimes. Well, they thought
3: they lost. they, they right. thought they lost, and they thought the game was over. Nobody thought that that play was. Nobody heard of the talk. Nobody experienced the talk. That's right. As, as as Mike Holmgren said, twenty people in the bar. think it's a fumble. It's a fumble. It was a fumble. Well,
2: again, you know, the Des Bryant play is one that sticks out to me where right when they, you know, immediately my gut reaction was they're going to take this away. And it's those are weird moments in history where you have iconic plays and you're talking about the immaculate reception with Franco Harris where they don't signal touchdown even though the ball carrier looks like, you know, whether or not he catches not on the rickshaw. But he does score, so you normally have to put up at least a signal. And then to your point – that the immediate reaction in that press box was, wait a minute, this isn't going to stand. Like, that is, that is wild, whoever they are conferring with, and we don't know how those modes of communication happen and what's actually transpiring, to your point. We'll never know. But those are moments in, in NFL history that change the course of history. Now, it goes the, the Patriots' way that day, and now we fast forward, and Tom Brady, as the Bucs are going to play a regular season game in Germany, He's going to be the first quarterback to start a game in four different countries. Michael Lombardi, if they don't overturn that play and the tuck rule that you witnessed firsthand, is there any way this happens that Tom Brady becomes Tom Brady and now decades later he's going to be the first quarterback to start a game in four different countries?
3: You know, I, I think he would have been. I mean, those, that '04 4 and 5 team that won back-to-back Super Bowls was really a good team. And remember, they were picking. That team was picking in the bottom of the first round because mm-hmm. of they went in the Super Bowl beating the Rams. You know, we have we, we won that Tuck game. We were going to have to go to Pittsburgh and play Cordell Stewart, which we could never play. It was going to be really hard for us. That was going to be a real challenge, and we were going to have to go play them. And I think Pittsburgh would end up playing St. Louis. In the Super Bowl, and, and whether it was us or Pittsburgh, play, we would have never beaten them because there was a strategic way to play the Rams, mm-hmm. and Belichick knew it. We would not have known it. It would have been very difficult for us. So it, it wasn't like I mean I lost a year of Fordham education because I could if <laughs> the next check would have gotten you to the divisional to the to conference <laughs> championship game, which would have been a bigger playoff check. Sure. You know, so I lost a year of Fordham. That's my Fordham year there for my oldest son. But at the end of the day. I don't think we would, but I do think in '04 and '05 that Patriot team was so good they were going to keep winning. I mean, they were hard to play. They, you couldn't block them. You know, they were tough. It was, you know, I think it was '03, '04. Mm-hmm. You couldn't block them. They were, they were really good. Well,
2: the thing is, though, that that is bizarre to me, and and just you know, you're a guy that literally had stakes in those actual games that we're talking about. It feels like we're talking about a different player. And the fact that 20 years removed plus from that game, Tom Brady is still at or near the height of his powers in 2022. I don't know that people still fully understand how rare this is and that the fact that he is so going to be, there's still the favorites to win the NFC South this year and Tampa Bay potentially get back to another Super Bowl. And he's been to 10 and, you know, he's one step. I mean, like, Michael, this just isn't normal stuff.
3: No, it's not. And I mean, look, you know, and when you look around and you see James Harden doesn't have any juice or burst left in him at 32. And you're wondering, how the hell is Brady doing? You know, how is Brady doing this all the time? And so it's kind of remarkable how he's been able to to really he's the only person who's been able to beat father time. Yeah. And he's been able to kind of defeat him. And it's been hard. But I mean, and, and when I went to New England in 14, I, I didn't think he had very much time left. I'll be the first to admit it. I thought he was towards the end. He wasn't throwing the ball down the field, you know. He was his yards per attempt went way down, you know. He was, you know, the playoff game, the conference championship game against Denver. He did not play well in thirteen. The team wasn't very good in thirteen, but somehow they came back, and now he's playing better than he's ever played. It's yeah, remarkable.
2: It is remarkable. And again, you know, like when they when they go ahead and they sign Jimmy G, they draft Jimmy G. That's when you start to go, oh, okay. They're looking for the heir apparent. And then you see what happened there. He plays so well that it's like, we got to trade he Jimmy played,
3: G. Yeah, you got to get rid of Jimmy. Because, I mean, let's face it, I mean, he he defied all the odds. Right. I mean, there's no way he should have kept playing. There's no way he could play at that level because the eye level of a quarterback will come down. I mean, you know, it's hard. Johnny Unitas at 39 had nothing left in him. I mean, some of these guys, they just they can't do it anymore. They've taken too many punches.
2: And that's why it's incumbent upon the Ryan Tannehills of the world that when you see somebody else get drafted for your eventual replacement, as your eventual replacement, make sure that they have to trade that guy away. As you play and keep your job, that's the job that Ryan Tannehill is trying to make. And that's his mindset,
3: right? I mean, that's That's what his mind is. He's going to try to keep
2: his job. That's it. He did exactly right, just like like Tom Brady with Jimmy G. Hey, Michael, really appreciate it, as always, my friend. Always great catching up. I uh, want to thank uh, thanks, Wes Reynolds Davis. and, of course, uh, Josh Applebaum and Steve, Stephen Bond, our producer, for doing another great job here on the Lombardi Line. You and I back at it tomorrow, a big day yeah, on wait. a Saturday, and I'm sure we'll sneak in some Kentucky Derby talk as well. Uh, thanks for watching the Lombardi Line right here on and the Sports Betting Network.